Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Ready for some Dharma? <laughs> uh, it's all Dharma, right. <clears throat> the um, title of, of this talk uh, I'm calling Intersecting Realities. Uh, is that Grania? Yeah. Okay. Um, intersecting Realities. And uh, I want to start with the, um, a famous quote by, from Shakespeare, As You Like It. All the world's a stage... And all the men and women, merely players, they have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. A great, great passage. All the world's a stage. Sometimes I I think of this plane, this realm, this planet Earth, although it's much bigger than just this planet, but this, all of life here is part of one complex play. In fact, in, in Hinduism, there's a, an, a word, an actual word that talks about the play of life, the word lila, l Sometimes it's spelled L-I-L-A or L-E-E-L-A. The, the play of consciousness that expresses itself in all these many forms. And that it looks like there, is, uh, there are many, many subplots and dramas, six billion at least on the human realm, plus however many on the, uh, on the animal realm and all ascension beings, so many, many subplots and dramas that are uh, particularly, singularly important to every player, but that it's really just life playing with itself through these various forms. That's kind of how I hold it. And when you have that perspective, just the play of consciousness, the the Tibetans have this uh, lovely expression, the magical display of consciousness. It kind of lightens things up, doesn't it? But each of us in this play, in this lila, is a particular node of consciousness, maybe a matrix of consciousness in this form called you or me with a singular vantage point that makes complete sense to us and that is uniquely yours. And in this node, in from this vantage point, you are the star of your movie. And sometimes you are the hero or the heroine. 
Sometimes you are the villain. Sometimes you are the victim. The movie, the real, can keep on changing, but that's your movie. Sometimes it's a melodrama. Sometimes it's a comedy. Sometimes it's a horror show. Sometimes it's a sitcom. Your movie keeps on changing. That's the amazing thing about the creativity of life. And there's no doubt who is the star. And in that movie that we have, we are blessed with or given a particular cast of characters sent from central casting, very amazing, super intelligent central casting that gives you all of these people and beings and experiences and events in your life. Some of the characters in your movie are your favorite characters. Oh, good. They're on the stage now. I get to play with her or him. Some are (coughs) a bit more challenging. Oh, no. I've got to go through this scene right now. This act, gosh. Some, or many, are both favorites and sometimes challenges. So I want to talk tonight a little bit about how to work with the cast that we're given. Not that I have the final answers on all of this. This is just my musings, and hopefully it can spark your own uh, perspectives. Uh, But in uh, the, the reason why I... I'm talking about this uh, tonight is that in recent days um, there's been uh, a number of there have been a number of people in my life who've been going through some major upheavals. I don't know whether it's uh, if Mercury is in retrograde or something something kind of um, shaking on its axis. But uh, there are um, a number of um, three, four different relationships, long-term relationships that are ending. Um, and there's uh, uh, one marriage and one engagement this, this week. And as well, a number of people are going through uh, some real physical uh, problems in my life. That's probably always happening. We, uh, we always could say that so-and-so, we know somebody who's having a physical um, challenge. But particularly on the uh, emotional level, the cast of characters uh, some, uh, for some people in, uh, that I know has been um, a particularly um, challenging one. Uh, just curious, anyone um, um, going through or know somebody who's going through a, an upheaval these days in their life? I wonder if I ask that every day, it would probably maybe get the same, uh, same answer. But this seems to be a particular time. Sometimes there's kind of a collective consciousness. A lot, lot goes on. And when we 
are going through an intense transition, particularly in our relationships, um, we might look back or, or reflect right now, you know, how did this happen? Where did, where did I go wrong? Or why, why have I had to go through this? Or, gosh, it would have been better off if so-and-so had never been in my life. Has that thought ever gone through your mind? Well, I'm here to suggest that uh, that is a, a major misperception. You uh, perhaps are familiar with the, the refuges. It's a, I want to uh, say that not to make you feel badly if you have that thought. I've had that thought many times myself, I just want to say. But just when we look from a Dharma perspective... It is a misperception, and the more we can really understand this pers- the, this perspective, uh, the less we are struggling with our life. Uh, you perhaps are familiar with the the uh, three refuges, the triple gem in these teachings: refuge in the Buddha, refuge in the Dharma, and refuge in the Sangha. Refuge in the Buddha, besides the the um, Gotama Buddha, who lived 25, 2600 years ago, uh, refuge in the Buddha is seeing that you have the, all the wisdom that you need. You have that seed of awakening, that potential to wake up. You have, there is the one who knows, Jack likes to say, Ajahn Chah would say, the one who knows right inside of you. And when you're taking refuge in the Buddha, you're taking refuge in the fact that you have the capacity to awaken in every moment. Refuge in the Buddha. Refuge in the Sangha, I'll just uh, jump to that third one, is refuge in the community of like-minded friendship, helping us keep us in, uh, on track. And also that Sangha includes your cast of characters, even though you might wish to uh, file a little complaint to central casting (laughs) at times and say, wait a moment, do I have to deal with this one too? That your refuge in the Sangha is the the community of like-minded friends who can remind you what really matters to you, but also that uh, the people in your life are part um, part of your movie. Now, refuge in the Dharma, the word Dharma means both uh, the formal teachings of the Buddha and also the truth, the way things are, the natural law. And when we take refuge in the Dharma, which is probably the closest word in Buddhism to God in theistic uh, religions, Refuge in the Dharma means that we are understanding that life is giving us just what we need in each moment to wake up. That it's not an accident that if you just think that you're supposed to have it 
all peachy keen and you're aspiring to get your whole life together so that things don't go wrong, you're kind of missing out on the reality that everything changes and that there is suffering in life that's part of the, uh, that's part of the package. And that, in fact, this realm of existence, the human realm, is said to be the optimal realm to wake up. If you're not familiar with some Buddhist cosmology, there are different realms of existence. There's the, the heaven realm, the Brahma realm, and the, the uh, Asura realm, the jealous god realm, that has it pretty good but wishes they were a little bit more like the, the god realm. Then there's the human realm, and then there's the um, uh, animal realm, the hungry ghost realm, and the hell realm. Well, we happen to be, at least in this line of teachings, in the best place to wake up. If you're in the heavenly realms, things are so wonderful there. It's so fantastic that you just want to loll about and really enjoy it. Why not? Oh, great. Hawaii every day for eons and eons, right? Banquets and feasts and whatever your vision of heaven is sounds good. Who knows if this is so, but there might be something to all the different realms of existence. If you think that this little speck of life called planet Earth is all there is, uh, then perhaps you should look at some astronomy books and see how, how big things are. I remember when I was a kid, I would drag my, kid, my parents to the Hayden Planetarium in New York because uh, that's where I lived. And you couldn't really see the sky so much, but I'd go to the, uh, the show each, each month or two and just go, wow, wow. And then they'd, they'd show all the stars, and then they, you couldn't even see where the Earth is in the middle of all of that, right? So I have a feeling there's more than just, this isn't the only game in town. But the heaven realm is one of extreme pleasure and delight and is said not to be such, it's a wonderful realm to hang out in, but not one that you will completely become free in because there's not enough grist for the mill, as Ramdas says. And of course the hell realms are not such a good place to wake up because you're too busy complaining and saying, oh my God, how did I get here? But the human realm has just the right balance of pleasure and pain and joy and sorrow, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows, as they say in in Taoism, and um, uh, birth and death, just the right amount so you don't get caught in either attachment or overwhelmed by the suffering. Just the right amount to wake up. And when you understand what it means to take refuge in the Dharma, you see that in every moment, it's all inviting you to wake up to what life is really about. Our life circumstances, I think it's yeah, Carlos Castaneda says, you know, most, most people take their lives as either blessings or curses. Oh, this is a blessing. This is the way it's supposed to happen. Or, 
oh no, curses, you know, this isn't right. But the man or woman of knowledge takes everything as a challenge, as an opportunity to become more aware, more awake. <clears throat> and if you, if you take refuge in the Dharma, then you really allow yourself to open up to it all. Uh, I've been working with a, a practice in recent months that I got from, uh, or was, was moved by um, a book, I think it's in the bookstore, uh, by uh, John McCransky called Awakening Through Love. And uh, he makes the point that all around us there is goodness coming towards us. Somebody smiles at you or opens up a door or greets you with a warm hello. And if you're really present for it, not only is it uplifting for you, but you can, and this is my little tweak on on the the practice, uh, see it as life saying you are worthy of loving kindness. And those beings in your, that your cast in your movie who say, hi, how you doing today? Or, gee, it's good to see you. Or, I'm really, I really care about you. How are things going? That, that positive energy is really, they are conduits of that energy. And life is saying, you're worthy of this caring and this kindness. And if you really take it on that level, if you really tune into it, it's a very powerful practice to just take in all the goodness and all the love coming towards you or the the random acts of of kindness. Letting in the love, I've been calling this my my practice. And there's a corollary to that practice as well, which is that our challenges are helping us wake up all the time, what I call letting in the lessons. And they're here in every moment. There's a, a line in Be Here Now, which was a, a book that changed my life, from, uh, written by Ram Dass, where he says, the next message you hear will be the next message you hear. <laughs> and life is giving us messages all the time through these agents of awakening. So how we hold our drama is crucial in in seeing if we're fighting life or opening up to it and allowing for it to wake us up. When it's great, oh, what a blessing. How wonderful. When it's difficult, oh, This is what I need. How can I get stretched a little bit more? Life is giving you just what you need. You need to practice some patience. Have a few children. You know, (laughs) you 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 need to have uh, to to stretch yourself as far as uh, um, anger or allowing things to uh, working with with difficulties. You know, you might have a, a hard boss. You need to work with attachment, <laughs> fall in love, and then see it go. That this is part of the curriculum that we're given, and everyone is part of that curriculum. And rather than 
blaming people for their part that when you see that we're each doing the best we can and that everybody in your movie has their own movie and has their own conditioning and has their own perspective that makes complete sense to them, then you lighten your grip of thinking, if I were running the universe, I'd be doing a much better job than this. Uh, a number of years ago, I, I, had a, um, I was on a retreat. This is in the Forest Refuge. Uh, this is in 2003, it was, when Forest Refuge in Massachusetts first opened. And um, I, um, as often happens on retreat, sometimes you, you play your, your life. There's a life review. Now, I, I went through my first years of practice. I, I set my first retreat in 1974. And for the first, first oh, four or five, six years, most retreats, there was a real life review. You know, I, how did that happen? And why am I that way? And so-and-so did this. And, oh, if only it was different. And, oh, I've got to learn to accept it. And, and I thought I had pretty much processed all of that. Uh, well, lo and behold, this is like, you know, 30 years later uh, on, on this retreat, I had another level of life review and, uh, but this time was a little bit different. And I saw this one particular uh, experience. I saw uh, my family and their conditioning and my grandparents and their families and what the circumstances were that they uh, they were they grew up in, and ancestors back generation after generation after generation, all part of this particular unfolding and when I saw it in that perspective, um, something shifted and in fact, what happened was there was this scene of many, many, many generations, and over this scene. Uh, was the book title of a, a book by um, a Tibetan teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche. We were just talking about Trungpa Rinpoche, who founded Naropa Institute many years ago, that 1974. And he had this very thin book. It was a great book. It's so, isn't it great to have good Dharma books that are thin? You know? <laughs> and the, the name of this, this book was Dharmas Without Blame. And the, that, that cover, that title just was the, the, um, the banner over the whole scene. Dharma's without blame. Who's to blame for all the conditioning that we're all experiencing and that we pass on and that we're products of? And how can you blame anyone in that cast? Everyone doing exactly what makes sense to them as bizarre as it might be to somebody else, and doing the very best they could. We all want to be happy. Anybody here that doesn't want to be happy? And if you say, yeah, me, then I'll say, well, that's just your way of being happy. Uh, 
we all want to be happy, but we get kind of distorted and, and confused in how we, we go about it and do things that cause harm to ourselves or to others, either without realizing it or because we can't please everybody. But it's just everybody starring in their own movie that makes sense to them. I came across this um, this teaching from the Dalai Lama. He says, an essential component of forgiveness and compassion is realizing that the other person's words and actions are not about you, but about their internal reality, which has intersected with yours. I'll read that again. It's worth rereading. An essential component of forgiveness and compassion is realizing that the other person's words and actions are not about you, but about their internal reality, which has intersected with yours. So we're all going around with our own internal reality that sometimes intersects in a fantastically glorious way, and sometimes in a less than fantastic and glorious way. But it's not about you. Just like when you do things that are upsetting to others, maybe you have awareness, yeah, well, they deserve this or whatever, but really what it's about is about your internal reality that is responding in a particular way. So to not blame others for their roles in our lives is tremendously freeing. And when you see it that way, then everybody counts. Uh, I was thinking about um, the, a wed- my wedding vows. I, I do uh, a lot of weddings. I, I love to do wedding ceremonies for, for people that I, that I know and just kind of celebrating love. And uh, the wedding ceremony that I do is, um, uh, incorporates the, my wife's and my vows. We were married uh, 27 years ago. Great relationship. Um, and a relationship that, like every, takes work, takes time. And we incorporated our vows and the, the, uh, the ceremony that we were married to. And this is what I, when I, so when I give the, when I offer the ceremony, I'm remembering what I, what I uh, committed to, not got myself into, but committed to um, each time. So I thought I, I printed it out before I, came here. I'll just read a couple of lines that really point to to this. Each each of you aspires to achieve the maximum development of your individual potential and believe that marriage is an important means of realizing this aspiration. With sincere dedication to truth and kindness, you are mirrors for each other opening to each other's joys and sufferings with awareness, with compassion and acceptance. Drawing on the strength of your union, may you make your differences work for and not against each other so that life's difficulties are met as challenges, as opportunities to become more aware. Your marriage is a vehicle to practice patience, 
forgiveness, trust, and understanding, not based on right or wrong, but on mutual commitment to truth. With this commitment grows a continued opening of the heart. If you can have a relationship that's not based on right or wrong, but that you are helping each other wake up to the truth, then all the hard times count just as much as the beautiful times. Each person, not just in our primary relationship, but each person is part of our perfect curriculum. As Shanti Deva says, this is uh, Pema Chodron's No Time to Lose, where she goes into the uh, Shanti Deva uh, Guide to the Way of a Bodhisattva, uh, a, a, a brilliant um, Tibetan treatise. Shanti Deva says. When useful admonitions come unasked to those with skill in counseling their fellows, let them welcome them with humble gratitude and always strive to learn from everyone. Catching sight of others, think that it will be through them that you will come to Buddhahood. So look on them with open loving hearts. He goes into this whole... Um, this whole uh, uh, exposition about how the people in our lives that stretch us help us see where we're attached and we should celebrate them and be grateful to them. That might be a bit of a stretch perhaps while you're going through it, but to really see that, oh, this is, I, if I'm in the game to wake up, this person is giving me uh, just what I need. There was a I don't know if Jack has told it here. He, uh, he often has told the story of uh, um, Gurdjieff and the member of the community. Uh, has he mentioned that at all recently? He, uh, there, there's you know, this great consciousness um, teacher, George Gurdjieff, who lived in the uh, early part of the uh, 20th century, I think it was. And in, uh, in Russia, or that, that area, uh, had this um, very intense spiritual community where people paid a lot to study with him. And as the story goes, there was one guy in this community who just drove everybody bananas. Right? And it was so bad, it was so intense that the pressure kept on mounting and they tried to, you know, just make his life miserable until finally he decided to leave. Gurdjieff, who, who was not living at the community, he would visit it from time to time. When he heard that this guy was leaving, he tracked him down, found him, and he said, don't leave this community. And, they said, he, and the guy said, everybody hates me and I can't stand it there. You know? and, he, and Gurdjieff said, I'll pay you to stay in this community. I'll pay you well. The guy said, okay, I'll do that. Went back, and when the word got out that not only was he back, but he was getting paid while they're all paying these exorbitant sums to, to study with them, with him, they went they went to Gurdjieff and said, what are you doing? This guy is, he just is awful. How can, how can you 
let him come back and pay him on top of that. And Gurdjieff said, he is yeast for your awakening, for your arising. You would not learn nearly as much without this man, and so I'm going to pay him. Can you think of a few few grains of yeast in your in your life? When you have it that that relationship, it's not so much um, that you are accepting and just resigning, but perhaps when one stretches oneself and sees the big picture, there can be even gratitude as well as surrender. How much am I learning? Think of the the hard people in your life who you've learned around or learned being around, maybe knowing I don't want to do it that way or I need to find my own strength and stand up for myself that you might not have. Instead of putting them aside and said, my life would have been better without them, there's another way to hold this. I was um, talking recently uh, about this topic and I, uh, to another group, and I was remembering um, a book that I read when I was, uh, many years ago, uh, when I was, when my son, who's now 22, my younger son, was um, oh, about uh, four or five, five or five, four or five, six, I don't know in there. My favorite f- memories in, of all are reading each morning with, uh, with Adam in bed, and I'd read these really great books like, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia or all these spiritual kids' books, and, uh, you know, I'd be the one that's getting the, getting the, the juice, and there was this uh, one, one series um, that this topic reminded me of uh, called The Pridane Chronicles, uh, five books by Lloyd Alexander. Fabulous books if you're looking for something to read to, to a, a young kid. The first one is The Book of Three, and then there's The Black Cauldron and The Castle of Lear and Taran Wanderer and The High King. Mm-hmm. I was amazed that I remembered that the other day, you know. <laughs> But there is this one in the Black Cauldron, this, the second book. Um, there's, of course, the, the good side and the bad side. Um, and in this long, uh, drawn-out series of battles, um, one of the members of the good side turns and becomes a, a traitor, goes o- over to the bad side. And at the end of the book, when the good side, of course, is victorious, the, uh, the, the protagonist, this young boy, Taran, who was the assistant pig keeper uh, before he became this hero, uh, is uh, there with his mentor, this fellow Gwydion. I'm just getting shivers as I say his name. Uh, and Gwydion is uh, with all of the all of the uh, the members of of uh, the hero of the victorious side, honoring all the people who uh, contributed to the victories and honoring all the dead as well as those living, and in that honoring, 
he includes the one who turned to the other side. And he said, and we must remember, I forget the guy's name, for all the, all the, um, all the things that, um, that we have to be grateful for, for his part too. And Taryn can't believe it. He says, why are we honoring him? He became, he was a traitor. He nearly did us in. And Gwydion, Gwydion says, yes, that's, that is so. But if he hadn't been there in this battle, and this battle, and this battle, in the early going, he saved us a number of times. We would never have gotten to the point where we were victorious without him. And so we have to honor him. And I remember reading that to, um, to Adam and stopping and pausing and just taking it in as actually my eyes welled up and my heart opened. All the people in my life who I had put on a pedestal and somehow had fallen. Well, this one disappointed, and this one disappointed. I, it's not like I had done that consciously, but sometimes when you do, um, when you do loving kindness retreats and you're looking for benefactors and you're looking for the perfect benefactor, and well, yeah, they're really good, but but they didn't come through then. You know, the only perfect benefactor I ever found was my dog, pal. <laughs> Always, 100%. Never failed me. But when I thought about all the ways that my disappointments had come from within me and that I somehow felt that they let me down, um, it was a very profound moment for me. How we can make somebody wrong and discount and say, oh, they blew it and not realize all the, the gems that we have received from them. And that's the way it is in this dualistic world. You know, the Buddha had Mara. It's right there in the teachings. I see you, Mara. You know, the Judeo-Christian... Uh, uh, religious metaphor has the devil or Satan that light needs the dark for us to continue to wake up and grow and appreciate the light. It's all perfect, as my one of my main inspirations, uh, Neem Karoli Baba would say from from Be Here Now. It's all perfect. Don't you see? It's all perfect. It's like we're in this in this lila, this biosphere where everything counts. And you need the bacteria, you need the disease, you need the, the lions and the humans, and uh, you need it all. Sometimes, I don't know about the humans, they kind of mess things up a little bit, but we too are part of the game. It's all perfect. And if you take anything out, if you say, oh, I'm going to get rid of all the bacteria, if you get rid of all the bacteria in you, you're not going to last very long because there's, 
There's a whole, a whole perfect balance and battle going on that keeps it all together. So, how to deal with the difficult ones? I just wanted to say a few words on that. How to deal with the cast of characters in your life when they either disappoint or are sources of pain or suffering or difficult for you. When the lovely ones become sources of pain out of attachment or the difficult ones trigger anger and frustration and rage and and hurt. That pain tenderizes the heart. So how you deal with it is really what your practice is about. And it's not so much what they're doing, but what I am thinking about what they're doing. And for this, I wanted to share with you um, a a really fabulous Dharma book, not Buddha Dharma, but um, Dharma, just the same, uh, called The Four Agreements. How many people are familiar with The Four Agreements? Fabulous Dharma book. And this is how he suggests that we can that we can work with the difficulties that that come up every this is by uh, Don Miguel Ruiz every human is a magician and we can either put a spell on someone with our word or we can release someone from a spell we cast spells all the time with our words and opinions Our parents and siblings gave their opinions about us without even thinking. We believed these opinions and we lived in fear over them, not like not being good at swimming or sports or writing. Someone gives an opinion and says, look, this girl is ugly. The girl listens, believes she's ugly, and grows up with the idea she's ugly. It doesn't matter how beautiful she is. As long as she has that agreement, she will believe that she is ugly. That is the spell she's under. By hooking our attention, a word can enter our mind and change a whole belief for better or for worse. Another example, you may believe you're stupid and you may have believed this for as long as you can remember. This agreement can be very tricky, causing you to do a lot of things just to ensure that you are stupid. You may do something and think to yourself, I wish I were smart, but I must be stupid or I wouldn't have done that. The mind goes in hundreds of different directions and we could spend days getting hooked by just that one belief in our own stupidity. Then one day, someone hooks your attention and using the word lets you know that you are not stupid. And you believe what that person says and make a new agreement inside. As a result, you no longer feel or act stupid. A whole spell is broken just by the power of the word. Whenever we hear an opinion and believe it, we make an agreement and it becomes part of our belief system. People who love us do black magic on us, but they don't know what they do. That is why we must forgive them. They don't know what they do. If you accept the opinion, it becomes an agreement now, and you put all your power into that opinion. That opinion becomes black magic. These types of spells are difficult to break. The only thing that can break a spell is to make a new agreement based on truth. 
The truth is the most important part of being impeccable with your word. Only the truth will set us free. So when somebody says something that puts you under a spell, to see that you're under a spell, to wake up and see, oh, this is just a spell. Is it true? That is what the practice is about. That's how we can be liberated and how that person in our caste has been the springboard for our freedom. One of my main practices, my main practice actually, when I get confused, when I struggle, when I get caught, is if I can remember simply asking myself, what thought am I believing right now? If I can remember to ask that, I've seen how my mind can create so many different thoughts and each one seems so real as they're coming through. But they're just these mind creations. What thought am I believing right now? Sometimes when people are on retreats, and I teach retreats uh, up uh, in the upper, the upper part of the, the land, and somebody's really struggling around and around in their mind, I'll say, okay, I want to give you a prescription, an antidote for your confusion, and I'll just take out a piece of paper and write, what thought are you be- am I believing right now? And I say, please, put this in your pocket, and when you're really freaking out, just know there's something in there that can free you. Because if you've seen the emptiness of your thoughts, oh, that's what's going on. I've just agreed with some thought that I've taken on to be a belief. You have a choice. You don't have to be under the spell of that particular character in your movie. And every time you feel uncomfortable, every time you're getting, you're in a struggle, take a look and see what the struggle is about. Are you out of alignment with your values? That might be some, some cause of the struggle. Or have you believed, have you taken and crystallized some thought into a belief and a judgment and a memory, and this becomes a chance to reclaim your power. There's no world outside your own world, and it becomes an invitation to free it up, to unhook you, and a cause for celebration. And this is particularly true with our most intimate relationships, because those are the ones, that's the final frontier because we have so much invested in that person and when they don't come out the way we want or they disappoint us, that's when we really start to get our reality shaken. It's just their reality intersecting with yours and see what is really true here. And that's how you can wake up from the dream and into seeing the play of consciousness and what is the most important dream to wake up from? The dream that you are separate from the rest of life. The dream that I am real, and you are real on one, po- on one hand, but that you, I am separate and that life is happening to me 
instead of understanding that life is happening through me. That this is this play of consciousness and you are simply an expression playing with itself through these various forms. And to honor everybody in your movie, everybody, and to see that it's just a movie, ultimately. And then you can play at the Leela instead of taking it so personally. The impersonal freedom of seeing through the illusion of self. So I invite you to enjoy your movie to the fullest extent possible and honor everyone in it. So I'll just uh, stop here. Mm. We have a, a, a few a few minutes uh, before we we close with a loving kindness. I wonder if anybody has any questions or anything that might have come up from that. We can. Is there, uh, do we have it? Oh, wait, here, what we, uh, Andy's got that there. In the book, The Four Agreements, the second agreement, uh, which is called uh, Don't Take Anything Personally, you quoted that almost verbatim earlier. Uh Uh, And when people say things, it's their reality they're reflecting, not anything about you. Yeah, that's it. Don't take anything personally. That's another way of expressing the truth of anatta in Buddhism, not self. <clears throat> yes, I, I highly recommend checking out the Four Agreements. Anything else? Here we go, Andy. Here, wait, wait, he'll come with the mic. Can you say a little bit about when you studied with Jogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, can you say a little bit about what that was like? What it was like studying with Trungpa Rinpoche? Are you familiar with Trungpa Rinpoche? I, I studied with him in 1978. Yeah. Well, Trungpa Rinpoche was this uh, Tibetan crazy wisdom teacher uh, who was uh, Pema Chodron's teacher and many other teachers, many other uh, fine uh, Buddhist teachers' teacher who... Um, would blow your mind. He'd uh, come in uh, with a, a big carafe of sake, limp in because he, uh, he, he got into a motorcycle uh, accident uh, going into a, um, crashing into a joke shop. Um, and, uh, you know, no, made no bones about the fact that he would, you know, he... Uh, um, you know, uh, liked women and uh, didn't hide anything. He broke every kind of icon, uh, every kind of image in my mind of what a spiritual teacher was like. And I spent, and I, I went to Naropa for five summers. Every every summer I went because that was where I first met Joseph Goldstein. And I would, I'd never miss a Trungpa Rinpoche lecture. You know, you just didn't. He'd come in about two hours late, an hour and a half late to the lecture. You know, limping in and and proceeding to down the whole carafe of, of sake. And for the first couple of years, I said, "What is going on here?" <laughs> and you know, what is this car- this guy's karma going to be? 
But, and I used to go to Joseph, who was, he was saying, you know, don't worry, take what's useful and leave the rest. And almost every talk, he'd blow my mind with amazing clarity and wisdom. He's got some great books, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, The Myth of Freedom, Dharmas Without Blame, uh, Meditation and Action. And so I stopped trying to figure out who he was as a, as a being and just honored there was wisdom that was coming through him that um, I am so grateful and indebted. There he was. He created Naropa, and that was, that was where jo- Joseph... Goldstein and Jack Cornfield, and and this whole scene, this whole Vipassana scene, came out of Chogyun Trungpa Rinpoche's um, vision. So just like that, uh, what I'm talking about, the cast of characters, some characters you can't figure out, they're real characters, and you just honor, and I, am, I have deep gratitude uh, in many ways for him. Yeah, one one last one, maybe. Yeah. Uh, wait, why don't you uh, just wait? Andy's gonna come around with it. So, if uh, central casting sends you a brown shirt or the Gestapo or the INS, how do you deal with those characters? The best you can. You know, I, I'm not. First of all, you have to look at it, or I look at it, more than one lifetime, which makes a very big difference. You know, the Buddha said, we've been doing this you know, higher than the highest mountain than Mount Meru are the, the bones of all the incarnations that we've, that we've lived. Greater than all the, the four oceans are the tears that we've shed over time. So each... Each birth, you are, I see it anyway, you are on a particular uh, um, curriculum to learn what you need to learn. That might not be very satisfying, you know, while you're in the middle of it. But when I read somebody like, you know, uh, Eddie Hilsom or, uh, or Anne Frank or people who've come to some deep freedom... That it's or Viktor Frankl, you know, that it's possible, even in that, to um, to use it for awakening. From our limited vantage point, it seems like a very uh, unkind and um, horrific um, uh, unfolding of events, but. That's from our human vantage point. Just like when you have, say, uh, forgive me if this analogy is, is, is offensive uh, to you, but if you have um, uh, ants or, or roaches and you spray them and there's thousands of ants that you've killed, that's a holocaust for them. That's happening all the time. Life is coming and going and just recreating itself through these various forms. In our human experience, this seems to be the, the one that counts. All I can say is, whatever we're dealt, whatever hand we're dealt with, it's up to us, especially if you've been given the opportunity to 
be exposed to the Dharma, it's up to us to see how we can um, wake up in that reality. The Buddha has this one discourse, the simile of the saw. He says, if somebody is sawing off your leg, do not uh, keep sending them loving kindness. Do not get into anger. That's a real advanced practice. Right? <laughs> uh, but it just points to the fact that no matter what, the heart is still capable of being liberated. And uh, this is a conundrum. This is part of the, the mysterious script that, that we're given. And within that, if, you're, if you can do something about the circumstance if you can relieve the suffering of others, then that's part of your karma too, if you're moved to. So it's not like, oh well, that's their karma just the way it is. We, we are moved by compassion to do the best we can in there. And that's, that's part of the game as well. So. Okay, let's... Uh, What's the author of The Four Agreements? The Four Agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz. So let's uh, just uh, close with a very brief sharing of merit. Just uh, tuning into your own sincerity of heart that would bring you here on a Monday night, the good karma you have, and the gratitude that can come from that, and include your whole cast of characters in your movie, and everybody in your life, as I want Peace, may all beings find peace in their lives. As I want love, may all feel their love and share it well. As I want freedom, may all see the truth of who they really are. And may our coming here together be of benefit to ourselves, everyone in our lives, and all beings everywhere. May all beings come to happiness, peace, and freedom. So, thank you very much for your attention. If you're in Berkeley, come and sit with us. Oh.